Welcome to another episode of Paprika in the Pit. My name is Jessica. I'm a rising second year and Mark One student. I'm Joshua, and Mark One student, year two. I know you did your undergrad in Singapore, right? Yeah, I'm Singaporean. I I went to Taiwan for international school when I was eleven to thirteen or something, but yeah, coming to America has been a completely different experience. You know, given that it's not Asia and definitely not familiar as familiar as Taiwan and Singapore would be. Right.、Um, and you did your undergrad in Canada. Yeah,、um, I went to University of Toronto, and I did like two years of high school in Canada as well, like prior to that. So that's some prepping before I came to America. But I was still like, you know, a little bit scared, I'd say, before coming here, because everything is saying like things are still different, Canadians are so nice, but like Americans <laughs> are like a little bit more intimidating. I don't know. I was just like pretty. Worried at the beginning, but it went away really fast. But I didn't know you went to Taiwan for your middle school or something. Yeah, it was this really short period of time when my parents relocated to Taiwan for their job, and a lot of the a lot of the students actually in the international school were either American-born Chinese or Taiwanese that were. Affluent enough to eventually go to the states. In fact, a lot of them are actually in the West Coast right now. They study at like UCLA, and then they're working Silicon Valley or something. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I think that was also like a part of my education or growing up period where I started to get more, I guess, immersed in American culture, and I think to some extent that definitely influenced my. Decision to come to the states、um, for studies, and I thought it would be easy, you know, because culture is globalized and Americanized. And so when I thought I thought when I came to America, it would be much easier than it was in in terms of like relating to people and、um, talking about common topics. But I remember like the first few weeks, I really couldn't like get into conversations with the Americans or like. Other people, because like I really didn't know how to follow up、um, what they were saying. Like some music, some cultural references were completely like I had no idea what they're talking about. And what what about you? What was your experience like when you first came to Yale? I guess like the culture thing is definitely like making bonds, making new friends. You gotta have some like base conversation to like start with culture or like some shows you're watching or like the most simple thing. Like you need to get people's jokes, right? I think that culture gap is definitely really real. It's not that big of a problem when I like came here for masters, but I remember when I was in like both high school and then immediately like transitioned into undergrad. I like. To be honest, like my English is okay, academic level, like my grades are fine, but you don't understand people's jokes. I don't. I literally, I can only get like thirty percent of what they're talking about. That really huge culture gap, and you don't know how to make small talks. <laughs> I I remember I was like super confused at people saying like, "How's it going?" I'm like, "Is that a question?" or What what's going? You know what I mean. <laughs> It's like I wasn't taught that. For example, I don't know if Singaporeans 
say that when they like say hi or something. We weren't taught that in school. And I started like watching YouTube videos, and honestly, that's how I learned English. And also, I learned English through watching Friends. I watched Friends over like eight times the whole ten season. So just like small things like that really confused me at the very、yeah. beginning. I think for me it was how are you, <laughs> like, like how are you was like it's a, it's like a greeting, right? But for the first few months, I really thought that like I was supposed to share personal stuff about <laughs> what was happening in my life. Oh, I don't know.、Um, the internal struggle that Josh has never revealed to people. <laughs> I I think honestly, me coming. Over to America with my girlfriend helped a lot because, like, we we talk about the experiences that we have, and then we kind of like, you know, wise each other up about like what the different cultural、um, differences are. Yeah. So so definitely helps, I guess. How's your、um, experience different from your girlfriend's? Because I know she's in NYU, right? Mhm. Well, she I did I feel like she's definitely like definitely meeting or met pre-COVID. Circumstances like a lot more people, and she was very involved with like the Singaporean society that is going on at NYU. Yale has one too, but it's difficult because you know we're graduate students, and I I think there are one or two people in Yale that have been to Singapore and lived there for a period of their times, but I don't think there's any Singaporeans. So it's also really at, at the start it was really hard for me to relate because there there are like two big groups, right? At Yale, like there's like the American or the Western kind of group, and then there's like the Chinese kind of group, and like I didn't really fit in in both because you know culture is still really different from China and Singapore, and also my Chinese is not amazing. <laughs> Your Chinese <laughs> is、so, fine. <laughs> yeah, so there's also the, at least for the start,、um, there was also like I guess uncertainty on like where my social groups would be, and then of course I I happen to take a lot of Classes with Tim, and so and and Tim was from Hong Kong, and Hong Kong is also different from China, you know, in terms of like the culture and even like the language, because Cantonese and Mandarin, and so somehow you know he was like a really important person, I guess, at the early parts of Yale because we got to like relate in a way that kind of accepted, I guess, that we were kind of different from the the people at Yale. Of course, not not now. I mean, just just the beginning. Yeah, I totally understand. I mean, like finding your group, finding your people that kind of have like more similar traits with you is definitely a big part when you are like blending into a new environment. Like I'm Chinese, I come from mainland, and a huge part of my cultural identity is definitely like mainland Chinese. I'm really familiar with the popular culture, etc. Like, and also with the fact that like Chinese international students are like probably the largest, like one of the largest groups. Among international students, I would say like I have the privilege of not struggling that much of finding my own people. Although like we're definitely like constantly branching out, you know, like getting exposure、yeah. to different groups of people, but also just always having that group of closer friends、mm-hmm. is kind of like a comfort that not everybody has. So yeah, I'm glad you were able to. Find him <laughs> and sit across from the the hallway from him. <laughs> yeah, I think even just like where we sat in studio was really 
I was I think my first year my first term section was filled with really nice people and then right behind me was Tim Jack you you know pe- people that are really um, friendly and so it really helped at the start and and then eventually you know like Chinese New Year and stuff and the Pikai after Malt coercive action for me inviting <laughs> <laughs> me to his um, Chinese New Year party so that was that was also really fun yeah um, nice. Do you want to talk about eyes? Yeah, I think. I think that's like the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Regarding eyes, um, latest update on like International Students Day in America, for example, like how they said if you are enrolled in a program that's one hundred percent online, you can't stay in America, um, mm-hmm. in the fall, and also regarding like F one and J one students' status. Were you personally affected, or do you know anybody that was personally affected? I think I was always planning to come back to Yale, and at least YSOA already had like intention to be hybrid. So I guess there was less of a stress um, when the news came out, especially since I, I think I think I came back to America like maybe a few days before the, what do you call this reg- regulation policy was implemented. And so, like, if I was just like a few days late, I would be panicking in Singapore, you know, wondering whether or not I would even be back allowed back into the country unless I could prove, you know, that Yale wasn't online. So that would definitely have been a lot of mental stress. But I guess, like, thinking back on it, one of the reasons I was a little calmer was also because my girlfriend, like, when I told her about the news, she was like, "There's really nothing you can do about it, so don't worry about it until it affects you." But I guess you know, like from that, there's almost like this acceptance, you know, that like it feels like we are, you know, there's almost like this idea of like having no rights. It's just wait for you know what the government says, and then we just have to like follow along. Um, there's very little you know action that we can do in response. And honestly, I do think there is very little. I mean, we are almost like. Relying on Americans or like the American institutions to fight for us, rather than us really having any legal power to protect ourselves. In that sense. Yeah, we don't really have that weight mm-hmm. to yeah. like contribute in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have any political force to weigh. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think at the beginning when my parents first heard the news, they were definitely panicking more than I did. I was sort of like more comf- like less stressed than people who are directly affected first because Yale announced that oh we're gonna adopt a hybrid mode, but I also feel really bad to be like oh good thing that I'm okay I'm not affected yeah. because other people who are affected they really didn't do anything that lead to this result like everything yeah. was out of their control. They did. They were actually they were making the best decision they could, um, like according to the situation. They're like everybody's situation is different, considering if there is travel ban from your country to the United States, um, considering like, like how COVID, how the pandemic is not looking good in America, mm-hmm. and also like the perspective that there's not going going to be any like in person courses. Maybe even through like 2021, and considering that like in-person courses are such a big component in architecture 
education like can you blame anybody for making the choice to like back to a potentially like safer their homeland yeah. where they don't have to worry about like say rented houses or like their stay their um legal status and then that like everything is out of their control and for some reason i didn't i feel like i was kind of like waiting to see how the situation turns out i did the bare minimum and that ended up to be like one of the people to be in like the best scenario possible and that just doesn't make any sense to me and especially when i was trying to like voice for ourselves voice for our people and it also felt really minimal that was the most i could do but it also had very little political power i feel like the best thing we could do is to like raise awareness but you know how much that actually matter is another conversation yeah yeah i guess just to have that instability of even though like our legal status is supposed to be like somewhat stable they can just what's the word revoke that when the situation yeah. feels appropriate or give the government give the authority a opportunity to be like hey we're going to change that now like there's no prerequisite or you know nothing to stop them from doing that so. not even a time for preparation you know yeah like it just happens and then it's almost as if it would be enacted immediately yeah it was just so out of the blue and yeah i really agree with you that i or we were part of like this privileged group that we weren't so affected by it because of how yale has already decided to have a hybrid but yeah i, I kind of i really can't imagine how it would be for students that especially in like the more crowded cities or those cities that are getting affected really badly to be faced with like the potential you know to get affected and to maintain their studies I, that choice is honestly extremely difficult to make especially when you know so much money is also going into the education yeah exactly like i can't imagine feeling like less um mm, like feel like less the need to be involved in that conversation just because we are not affected directly right now um and i that made me especially like appreciate other people like classmates and like other universities voicing um on this issue because i think that really made a difference with the harvard lawsuit and mit lawsuit I'm really saddened to see like how this whole thing became very much a political um mm, used a political tool you know a few months prior to the election you right. start picking the weak right we have no say in this country so but it's a good gesture yeah and i guess even the fact that like okay i'm not super up to date i'm probably not as up to date with the news as you are um but I think even the fact that this can be reintroduced as like an executive order or something other than, you know, what ICE has has done would is also troubling. I I read this article about how the government might just be regrouping, refining its strategy, which is honestly not great. It's <laughs> just making that insecure I feel like 
is just making that insecurity more permanent and less subtle for everybody's position. Like either you're you're an immigrant, you're considered like an outsider. Like it doesn't matter if you're a student or like more permanent members of the community. As long as you kind of pose this potential danger, that insecurity is always going to be there and it's going to be established more formally and systematically. I guess the insecurity also comes from the fact that Yale can't really promise us, you know, something that would help alleviate, you know, our struggles. Because I guess that also leads to a lot of anxiety because while you know Yale says that they will do their best, <laughs> their best might still mean me going back to <laughs> Singapore. I mean, yeah. So there's definitely like this nagging insecurity and anxiety, at least during this you know tumultuous time. Yeah, like we definitely feel like our current somewhat safe status is not because what we did differently than others. It's not because something yelled it differently than others. It's probably just because Connecticut for now is in less trouble than other states. And Yale has more control because of its location. So it's like our current security is not based on anything concrete. Yeah. Like, can you imagine like locking down a one year kind of rent or housing and stuff and then having to like break that lease there's like a whole series of costs also associated with the policy for sure the financial situation the financial burden on international students is definitely paid less attention on to first thing is that idea that stereotype like all international students are financially less burdened you are able to pay this tuition you're able to go to another country to you know set up your new life and even like you're even worrying less about your financial situation than local students because you have support from your government or your family but you know that also entails a lot of other issues like it's definitely not just study and your career that you're worrying about you literally have to like start your life from zero in another country yeah um maybe we could move to chill about topics (laughs) let's talk about like classes and courses ysoa professors critique do you feel like being an international student makes the experience different or do you have any particular challenges or what do you think about classes right i'm just thinking about critiques um i think as an international student like Everybody is going to talk about their language barrier, with this, which is true. It's definitely there. I'm not saying like when you say, oh, I lo- start losing track in the middle of the sentence. I feel like that's more common, common to everybody. It doesn't really have too much to do with language barrier, you know, because your thinking process is probably in a foreign language. The whole system, like your train of thoughts, is completely different and depends on whether you are forming the language in your head in English, or you have to kind of do, do that, like a double translation process. That definitely changes the way you express yourself, you talk about the presentation, and you communicate with the critic guests. And I feel like on my side, I definitely experienced that more at the beginning of my undergraduate um, education. 
I feel like objectively speaking, I wasn't doing bad, but I was just so self-conscious, and I would judge everybody's facial expression when I'm talking. And whenever they stop their eye contact with me or start moving around, I feel like, oh, are you getting impatient? Am I not making sense? And is it the right word to use? Am I being rude? There are so much other things that are disruptive to your presentation. And the conversation with the guests,、uh, with the critique guests, are really different too. Cause、um, I always feel like if I am com- like comfortable in that environment, if I'm comfortable with the conversation, I can have a more personal relationship with the critiques. But I feel like because I was so self-conscious, and because the more or less subtle way that they express their disinterest. In having a very awkward conversation with the international students, I just completely rejected that. I'm like, I'm done my part. I'm out of here. I'm not gonna stay for the after critique connection session. What about you? I feel like it has never really happened to me, but when I sit in for some Chinese student critiques, it does feel like some of the critics get really impatient with like. How the students are presenting, almost as if they want to present for them or to speed up the presentation. Like a lot of times, it just feels like there's. I'm sure the point is to kind of like help improve the students' presentation skills or to help tell the narrative in a way that might be more understandable. I I don't know, but it always comes across almost as as something that is.、Um, You know, they, it 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 just feels like the the whole presentation isn't bearable for the critic, and and I feel like that negative kind of body language or or words that are being used during the critique start to change, you know, your impression of the presentation also、um, as a person that's listening,、um, which I think is honestly rather problematic. Yeah. Yeah, especially because what you said, like. I, I guess for me, critiques ideally are almost like conversations about the project, the conversations about ideas, about concepts. And when when you know there's like interruption and weirdness, a certain like scolding kind of、um, feel to it, it no longer becomes a conversation, you know. So like the just the experience of the critiques become very different, or at least I think because you know from what I see, I guess since it never yes, I don't think it's ever really happened to me. So I can't speak from personal experience. Right, I definitely agree with what you said. Thinking back, more or less, we definitely like seen that happening、um, during like final and、mm, midterm critiques. There are conversations that feels welcoming, feels engaging, feels like the critiques want to know this person. I want to know your thought process. I want to know your experimentation throughout the semester. And they crack up several jokes. It's all fun and games. And there are others who feel like there is this objective need for people who's not using English as their first language to kind of you know have a script, have things written out, and kind of practice. And it's very hard to avoid、um, the result to be kind of. Doesn't feel like very oral. Doesn't feel really chill. It feels like there's a script, and when that happens, 
when um, I think as this audience and the critiques feel that, it feels like this presentation becomes not as the previous one, but as just a simple presentation of what's, what's on the wall. We kind of walk through the drawings. We kind of talk about the site. We talk about the result. And they straight go into like critiquing the project and the project alone. It starts to focus on very technical details. And I feel like just because theoretical complexity is not all presented on the wall or well presented throughout the um, presentation, it's ignored or just not mentioned at all because people kind of don't want to go into potentially long conversation because there is that language barrier. People just don't want to face that confusion and they just avoid going into it at all. And I feel like it's sad and frustrating and I really hope that it's going to change in the future. I don't know if it'll feel the same. Well, yeah, yeah it, it definitely works both ways, I guess. And that also, like, talking about presentation and language, I don't know if you'll feel the same, but I feel like specifically to architecture and language is a really tricky thing. We keep saying architects are storytellers, you're supposed to be the narrator, you're supposed to, like, paint a picture for your audience. And the fact is that being able to speak English is different from having an architectural language, specifically in English. I feel like because it's so particular, it's so unique in different language as well, like not just in English. I feel like people are able to um, articulate their way of expressing architectural ideas really well in another language, very poetic, very sophisticated, but they can't turn that directly into English. And that becomes another huge barrier, potentially. Definitely. I, I feel like sometimes when I try and... I know it, I, it's ironic because when I came here, I started also getting more interested in Chinese ways of approaching architecture. So I went to start reading like um, Wu Liangyong. I'm not sure if you know him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's like this rather famous Chinese architect. And, and I started reading the Chinese words and it was like, it was very hard. What is this man <laughs> saying? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I definitely get the, the flip side of it. Um, I, I've also, or I've tried to take a lot of theory classes in my first two terms. And I think there were times that also, it's almost like if you don't have a liberal art kind of education, it's also hard to understand some of the concepts that they talk about in class. I remember leaving um, this class I took, Politics of Space. Every class I left with almost like a, I've learned something new or like there's like a certain part of what we talked about that I did not ever come across or, you know, even consider it. And I guess also like a, an opportunity to learn, right? Um, yeah. I, I guess when we're talking about classes, it's also like, a, at least for me, it was like a very different class experience in the sense that the people here are much more um, vocal about their questions. And when like a professor asks if there are any questions, usually the questions will continue until there there is no more time left, you know, which is very different from the Singaporean context, um, at least the, the context that I've been in. Yeah. 
definitely like I felt that there as well and I kind of learned that in undergrad you know if you want to get your issues resolved or just simply let the professor know that you exist you have to be able to voice yourself if you want to get your ideas through leave an impression for the instructor you know it's a process it's not like you tell yourself I'm gonna do it next class and you're gonna be able to do it next class and I was just glad that I kind of had that buffer period back in high school that I can gain that experience so that I'm like better adjusted for my future education but it's definitely the whole doctrine the architecture doctrine how different it is across different cultures yeah I remember at the beginning of my undergrad I feel like it's a more or less common thing that international students need to experience or eventually overcome um, that they low-key feel like oh I wish I was born here I I wish I'm American-born Chinese so that I don't have to go through all this I don't have to try to prove that I'm American, I'm quote-unquote Western enough to blend into the classroom because I constantly felt like I need to have a voice, I need to be able to crack jokes and make friends and have chill conversations with my professors to prove that I'm not just one of those international students who don't say anything ever. And this struggle built on my self-consciousness I think that I kind of struggled to be like, oh, I wish I'm not just one of those international students. But then when I say like you overcome it, it's like you don't have that struggle anymore. I used to feel like when people be like, oh, I saw you're from here. Your English is so good. I saw you were like Canadian or something. I had that subtle happiness. I had that subtle pride that I was like, yeah, okay, I proved myself I'm good enough. But I feel like I've been pretty ashamed of feeling that way. Like there's nothing about being a Chinese international student that I should be self-consciousness about because like me not being able to speak up for myself is not a problem with my cultural identity. But yeah. At least for me, I think I think it's been kind of like a positive experience trying to ask more questions or trying to phrase questions that are critical trying to make comments about things even if i'm wrong i think in terms of an educational model i'm definitely like learning more but i definitely get that there's this like a mismatch of cultural identities right like because you are chinese or i'm singaporean and and yet we are in a completely different environment and there's a need to fit into this cultural context and so, like, our identity, I'm, I'm sure, maybe, maybe not so much for me, because I've only been in America for a year, but, but like, there's definitely this um, pressure to, to fit in. And by fitting in, it would mean, like, things like you said, like, being able to speak in uh, a way that doesn't sound strange. I don't know, I was just reading this study a few months ago about how, like, just the way that you talk already influences whether or not the person decides to hire you. So, you know, there's, like, definitely this huge this huge importance on how we have to change ourselves to fit into the cultural context while also maintaining the uniqueness of our cultural identities yeah we're definitely still in the process of figuring that out 
and it's definitely not a negative experience like I'm learning more about myself and my people and like both sides of the culture identity and we don't have a definite answer and that's okay I was wondering whether or not you feel like in terms of jobs and fellowships or even scholarships I was wondering what your experience was have you applied for any of these jobs or fellowships and what were your experiences but my experience that I'm always really reluctant to start my job search during the beginning of summer because the first thing that I consider is like they're gonna reject me anyway because you don't want to deal with all the legal issues dealing with the international students plus I'm gonna be a short-term intern plus only gonna be able to work for like three months nobody wants to go through that trouble why would they like hire you when they can't just hire a local student and that really contrasted with my experience with applying for internships back in China not because say potentially there are more jobs in China but just because I know how to navigate the field I know that there's no like this extra layer of trouble that I need to go through and the fact that I get a lot more offer easier when I apply for jobs in China that's just my experience yeah I I don't know I I feel like I've almost like got rejected for 90% of the jobs that I've applied for. Yeah. I've applied for many. I think I've applied for like 15 positions, jobs, assistantships and stuff. Maybe it's just like a really competitive environment at Yale. Yeah. But it does, there's definitely like this different. I've never faced so much job rejection in my life. (laughs) But that's also maybe just this year, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, and I, I think honestly, Yale is like this really competitive environment that I'm still trying to get used to. Do you want to talk about like general environment at YSLA? I think I really enjoy the studio spaces that, that allow for, you know, conversations when, when people just pass by. I feel like everyone that I've met has been really nice. Yeah. Like I hear about like arguments or differences in opinions but I've never really been in the middle of that so I feel like kind of just gone through <laughs> I just kind of gone through YSOA even like building project and stuff I feel like there was some stuff that happened there but I've just been like walking through it very it could also be because I'm really isolated in Singapore during that time oh yeah true the second half of the building project well, what about you what do you feel about the general yeah I've been loving it I remember when I came to the open house at YSOA, like I was talking to some seniors and the one thing that everybody kept talking about is like the community is really great. There's no toxic competitive. Mm-hmm. Like it's not competitive in a toxic way, but it's productively competitive. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I really feel like the, the whole place is rather inclusive. I guess it's more about us excluding, well, like on some level, it's about us excluding ourselves from those opportunities. For example, like I know I've been in like North America for seven years. I should be pretty comfortable with all kinds of social settings, but still like I'd say I have a long day, I had a long week. It really, it's that mental pressure on myself to be in that English speaking environment, just because you're speaking English, there's different sets of jokes 
different sense of humor um, and a different way that you're acting, you're interacting with people, and even just simply how like your voice is different when you're in spe- when you're like speaking Chinese and English. I'm not saying it's like a really huge burden that's stopping me from social settings, but just recognizing that it is there and it's probably taking a bigger toll on other people than me. It's a pretty just in terms of like socializing and making connections, it's a pretty significant factor that can affect whether people decide to, you know, come to a social event or not. Yes, speaking about language, um, I I don't know why I didn't think of this, so um, but like actually like you know Singaporean English is actually very different from normal English. Like <laughs> we have this colloquial thing called Singlish, right? Yeah. Um, and there are like a lot of different. Things that end off the sentences like la or xia、yeah. or and and these things like kind of just like change the meaning of the words we use. We cut down English or use、um, we supplement it with Chinese or Malay. And so like I think I'm a native English speaker. My English is also conversational English in Singapore is also really different from. Conversational English in America. So when I first came here, I had to speak really slowly and I had to watch like everything I said because when I add in different parts of the sentence or like if I, you know, modify the way I usually speak, if I don't modify the way I usually speak, the meaning of the sentence doesn't get conveyed. And so like, I I think even now I I still、um, every time before I. Before I speak a sentence, I would like kind of really quickly run it through my head,、um, so that I remember like the right or at least the American pronunciation or like the you know the proper way of saying a sentence, which is really different from how I would say in Singapore. And so there's definitely I guess this sort of struggle, even though it's not as big a gap as Chinese and English, there's still like this watching what I say and the context we are in. I imagine it's like a much more substantial conflict that you need to overcome because it's already built in in your language system. You kind of need to like fight against it, like on an everyday basis. Yeah, so yeah. I think sometimes it slips out. I, I mean, it's not like I feel like I'll get judged if I do speak in、um, English, but it's just like a different way of conversing. Like I remember when I went back to Singapore and I talked to my friends, it was like. So natural, you know, to <laughs>、uh, to to talk like the way I'm comfortable. Nice, yeah. Like I know people who would do the same, like kind of repeat the sentence, kind of like rehearse the sentence really quickly in their head before actually saying it. And what happens is like it kind of sounds not right, and that's already like two seconds after someone asks you something, and they just don't say it. Yeah. So、it's an、like、everyday a struggle, yeah.、Mm-hmm. And then they just awkwardly answer the thing with like,、mm, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a process. Everybody has to go through that. Yeah. I feel like throughout this conversation, we were both feeling like, um, not sure about talking about certain topics because I feel like both of us are too privileged to talk about certain struggles that other members. And our community are experiencing, but maybe not like us personally. And it's important, I feel like, for us to address that we're in no way 
like a general representation of on the international student community. They everybody is going through their own struggle. Everybody's background is it is different. Yeah, I I mean I really really agree with that, and I feel like no matter how small the platform is, not that I'm saying Propriga is a small platform, but like it's important to really see who is saying the things that are being said, and it's very important not to generalize certain aspects of our experience, even though some of these experiences are shared. Yeah, I don't know. I just really want to say like. A lot of other international students—they're really interesting, and they are all really interesting individuals, and they are incredibly smart in their own language. But just because they have to go through this language barrier, you might never be able to know that. And it's important to know the fact that this exists, and us being able to talk about it is already like pretty privileged, because. You might never be able to understand someone else in their native language. I have a completely different sense of humor in Chinese. Who knows? You know.、Mm-hmm. So that's all I want to say. Okay. I feel like we cover things. Mhm. Cool. All right. Cue music. Cue music. Hit that subscribe button. Yeah. Comment below if you are an international student too. <laughs> <laughs>